Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, if you're in the fire, if you're in a flood, if if your life is being overwhelmed by something right now and you feel like you're being carried away in a flood or you feel like you're about to be consumed in a fire, you know what you can do as a child of God? You can take these verses and say, Lord, I am going to stand on these verses. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapter 42, verse 10 through chapter 43, verse 28. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Amen. All right, so we are going through the Bible and we are in Isaiah chapter 41. We left off in verse 9 of chapter 41. We were trying to do 41 and 42, but we just didn't get that far. So we're going to pick up in verse 10. uh, But let me just give you, once again, a little bit of background. In these chapters, beginning with chapter 40, this is the, the second half of Isaiah, if you will. And these are very unique chapters because they were written by Isaiah, of course, but they were not written necessarily for the the context in which he was living. They were written as a prophecy for people much later who would find themselves in the Babylonian captivity. At the point that Isaiah is writing, Babylon is not even a world power yet. But of course, God knows the future. So he reveals to Isaiah that not only will Babylon become a world power, but Babylon will conquer Jerusalem and lead the people into a period of captivity So these chapters are written to those people, and they're written to tell them why they're in captivity. They're written to comfort them in the midst of their captivity. They're written to encourage them that they're going to be delivered from their captivity. But then there's an additional application, and that's out into the future. There's a future fulfillment of all these things that, that we have not yet arrived at yet. So many of these prophecies here are talking about when the Lord returns. As I mentioned before, Isaiah is the prophet of the Messiah. And here in the 42nd chapter, the first nine verses, it's it's one of those great messianic passages where Isaiah begins there and he says, behold, my servant, and of course he's speaking prophetically, so he's speaking as the voice of God. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth, He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. So this is a prophecy about Jesus and it was fulfilled on one level, of course, when Christ came. And Matthew even takes this very passage that I just read and he places it in his gospel and he shows how Jesus was fulfilling it. But it has an even greater fulfillment that is going to be out in the future. So 
we have the immediate situation. We have the, the, the prophecy that had to do with the, the time of Christ. We have the prophecy that goes out yet into the future. And then we have the personal application, the prophetic word that God might give to us as we would uh, be spoken to by the Spirit. And these words would be applied to our lives. So we're going to see again as we pick up here in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, we're going to see the same thing. So God's going to speak to the nation and he's going to speak to them in their captivity and he's going to speak to them about the, the ultimate restoration. And he's going to, in the, in the middle of all that, he's going to also speak to us as well. And I just wanted to go back to a point that I was making last time. And it has to do with this question of, well, how do I know what's for me and how do I know what's just strictly for the people that it was written to? As a matter of fact, a few days ago, somebody called in on our radio program, Pastor's Perspective, and asked me this very question. It was funny because they asked about Isaiah 41.10. And they said, how do I know if Isaiah 41.10 is for me or if it was for someone else? And I said, well, interestingly enough, I just spoke on this very topic last week. So I pointed him to the study and said, check it out. But I wanted to come back to that because I wanted, again, to just clarify this point because it's an important point. Because some would say, well, you know, you're reading these passages and there's these, these the, you know, these amazing promises, but they're, they're really just for the nation of Israel. They're not for us today. Well, I don't believe that to be the case. And so here's the way I want us to simply understand this. God gave promises to Israel that are for them, and will yet be fulfilled to them. So their first application would be to the nation of Israel. And it would be a mistake in many cases, not all, but it would be a mistake in some cases to take those promises and just try to apply them across the board to the church. Now, some, some people have done that, and you can get in trouble by doing that. For example, there's many passages in the Old Testament that speak to us about the prosperity of Israel. For example, God says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bless you in every way. I'm going to bless your fields. I'm going to bless the fruit of the womb. I'm going to, you know, bless your homes and your children and, and you're going to prosper and, and all of that. And, and so the problem is then some in the church have taken that and said, see, God said that his people are going to prosper and uh, so we, as the people of God today, we should always be, if we're in the will of God, we should always be healthy and we should be wealthy and we should be prosperous. That's a misapplication because those promises don't transfer over uh, broadly to the church. But it is possible that at times those promises right there, although they don't, we can't apply apply them broadly to the church and say, this is true of every Christian. Every Christian is going to always be healthy if they're really right with the Lord. Every Christian is going to be ultimately wealthy. But we can look at them and say, God will speak to us sometimes from these texts in a personal manner, and it will be a word for us. And in our previous study, I pointed out how in chapter 41, there are passages there that are clearly for Israel uh, but God spoke those to me in, in my life at a certain point in time, and I, and I actually saw them fulfilled. And I even showed you one passage where 
The prophecy is clearly about Jesus, but Paul in the New Testament takes it and he applies it to himself and his co-workers. So let's just understand that, that when it comes to these verses that we're going to look at that will have, that did have a fulfillment partially with the people when they were delivered from the Babylonian captivity, will have a final fulfillment with them yet in the future, can also and have been by the Holy Spirit applied to God's people all throughout the duration of this current age. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and pick up in verse 10. And here in verse 10, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. I love this passage. And I always think about just the the whole idea of a new song. And isn't it great when God gives his people songs? And boy, aren't we thankful for the many, many great songs? You know, you can think back to, um, maybe maybe you can even think back to some of the very earliest hymns, for example. You can think of the book of Psalms, obviously. Quite often we think of the songs that came out of the, the like the post-Reformation period and the, the periods of the the 18th century revival and, and the great awakening and, and some of those, those magnificent hymns. We think, oh, those are so beautiful. They're so powerful. And then, and then throughout the history of the church, there, there are these times and these seasons where God gives a new song. And, and I am really thankful for the songs, say, over the past, you know, maybe, maybe four decades or so or five decades where it just seems like there's been a revival amongst some of God's people anyway, of uh, these new songs that God has given. And it's amazing to, in some cases, actually know some of the people who wrote the songs and to remember, you know, when they were even sort of piddling around on their guitar or their piano and just kind of working the song out. And then they, they, they completed it and then they started singing it to, you know, a handful of people. And, and now today it's internationally known and sung. I mean, that, that is amazing. There's so many great, great songs out there like that. And the Lord said that he would give a new song. So sing a new song to the Lord. His praise to the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands. We talked about how coastlands means the coastal region. It includes the islands. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages of Kedar that Kedar inhabits let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. So Kedar would be in the area of Arabia and just talking about these, you know, the people that would be there. Selah is probably uh, the same place as Petra in um, the region of, of, um, of Moab. And he says, let them, let them shout from the tops of the mountains. If you know anything about Petra, there are these very high peaks there that they would build places of worship on and so forth. Let them give glory to the Lord, declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. And now God speaks, I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay 
waste the mountains and the hills. I will dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers into islands and I will dry up the pools. So God is talking about that judgment that's going to come. And here he's talking about the judgment that he's going to bring upon Babylon. But then again, Babylon uh, goes out to the end of time. We know in the book of Revelation, we, we read about Babylon. And so there's, like I said, there's a kind of a twofold thing going here where there's a, a close fulfillment and there is a far fulfillment. But it's interesting how God says, I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. You know, there's a passage in, I think it's a Proverbs that says, because execution is not swiftly meted out against a transgression, people mistake that for uh, approval. And, and this is a, a thing about God. He's not swift to judge. He is, is actually very patient. And we know why he's patient, because he doesn't want to judge. And God said that he's really not willing that any should perish. He longs for everyone to come to repentance. And so he has restrained himself from judging. You know, if you think of the history of the world and uh, whatever period you want to think about, uh, you can find just unspeakable wickedness throughout every period of human history. There's no time in human history where there was not, uh, other than maybe, you know, the very earliest, earliest days, where there was not all kinds of wickedness and rebellion it's always been here, and it's here with us today. And, and yet God has restrained himself. And really, we, we know that God judged the world back in the days of Noah. We know that God judged the Canaanites when the Israelites came in. He used them as their instrument of judgment against the Canaanites, that he gave centuries to repent. We know that God then would use the Babylonians to judge, or the Assyrians to judge the northern kingdom of Israel, the Babylonians to judge the southern kingdom. Uh, he used the Romans to judge Israel in the time at the, after their rejection of Jesus. And, and as we go on from there, we, we can see times in history where God has judged by sort of withdrawing his restraint and allowing human wickedness combined with demonic influence to bring about havoc in the world. I've just been watching again the whole history of the Second World War. There's a new colorized version of it on Netflix. And as I'm watching that period of time from 1939 to 1945, you just see that it was a time of judgment. It was a time when God, it's almost as though God just stepped back and let the, the evil of humanity combined with the demonic influence loose on the world, and it was a time of unprecedented death and destruction. And, and so you see these times, but my point is they've been very rare. They've been few and far between, considering the fact that the world lives in rebellion to God every single day, and yet he has restrained himself and held back. But there's coming a time, and this is what we're reading about right here, where God will no longer do that. He is going to shout. He's going to prevail against his enemies. He says, I've held my peace a long time. I've been still. I've restrained myself, but basically no more. So there is a judgment that is still out in the future of the human race because of the ongoing revolt against 
our creator. And so, but then as he talks about judgment, there's mercy that's mingled in. Verse 16, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. You know, in all of these judgments that were that I just mentioned, there's always been a remnant of people that God has uh, delivered through. He's protected them through. He's carried them through it. In, in, the, in one case, of course, in the case of Noah, there were only eight people that survived that judgment. But this is the, the picture that we have here, that we see that God is, he's extending mercy even in the midst of that. And then verse 17, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed. Who? Those who trust in carved images, who say to molded images, you are our gods. And this, of course, would be the Babylonians. They were, they epitomized idol worshipers. They were the great idol worshipers and makers of, of their time. And then he says in verse 18, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. And now he asks this interesting question. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? See many things, but you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does not hear. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake he will exalt the law and make it honorable, but this people is a people robbed and plundered. So here's a dilemma right here in interpretation because when we looked at the beginning of chapter 42, we were introduced there, behold, my servant in whom my soul delights, says the Lord. And we talked about how that is obviously a reference to Jesus. And we don't even have to guess about that because Matthew tells us it's a reference to Jesus. But now here in the very same chapter, we have a reference once again to the Lord's servant. But here we see something totally different. We see that the servant is blind. We see that the servant sees but doesn't observe, opens the ears of others but does not hear. We see that the servant is a people who are robbed and plundered. How do we solve this mystery? Well, here's how we solve it. You see, Israel was also the servant of the Lord. Israel was also the son of God. Jesus is the, in a sense, you could say Jesus is the perfect Israelite, or Jesus becomes singularly what the nation was meant to be uh, collectively. So collectively, the nation was meant to be the servant of God. They were to open the eyes of the blind. They were to, to give hearing to the deaf. In other words, they were to bring the light and life and truth of God to the nations. But rather than do that, they were like those who, as it says here, they saw many things, but they did not observe. They opened the ears, but they did not hear. And they were a people that was plundered. And so basically Israel failed. And yet the true Israelite, the one servant of the Lord, ultimately Jesus, he did not fail. So he fulfilled what God intended for the nation was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But of course, much more was fulfilled in Jesus. Things that the nation could have never done. They could have never provided atonement for their own sins, let alone the sins of the world. 
but Jesus did that as well. But, but that's how we understand this. So this is not a reference to the servant that was introduced at the beginning of the chapter. This is now a reference to Israel as the blind servant. And again, verse 22, this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers for plunder and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned. For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore, he has poured on him, on Israel, his, uh, the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know, and it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. So basically, Israel, what he's saying is Israel, even under the judgment, they were failing to recognize that it was God who was judging them because of their rebellion against him. But now chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So this is the pattern through these chapters here in Isaiah. God, in a sense, denounces Israel. He points out their sin. He tells them why they're being punished. But then he comes back and he promises mercy. And that's exactly what we see him doing here. And so he reminds them that he is the Lord who created them. And he formed them and he says to them, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back to myself. That's the, the meaning of redemption. And I have called you by your name. You are mine. So, so these were the promises. Now remember, these prophecies would have, during their captivity in Babylon, they would have had these prophecies. And they would put their hope in these prophecies that God was indeed going to deliver them, which he would do. But verses two and three are wonderful promises. And, and these are some of the promises, like I was talking about earlier, that of course they had application to Israel, but these are promises that we take hold of ourselves and, and we stand on them and we claim them. And here's this beautiful one. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What an amazing promise. Isn't that an amazing promise? Now, here's the thing, going back to what I was saying earlier. So this is a promise you know, if you're in the fire, if you're in a flood, if, if your life is being overwhelmed by something right now and you feel like you're being carried away in a flood or you feel like you're about to be consumed in a fire, you know what you can do as a child of God? You can take these verses and say, Lord, I am going to stand on these verses. For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.